Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today, I am continuing my conversation with one of my favorite people, my Aunt Brenda, Brenda Young, and talking with her about some of her uh, big lessons learned all throughout life. This is part two of a three-part conversation, and so... So you're right in the middle of it. And yeah, just very much looking forward to bringing this. If, you, uh, if you're new to the podcast, what we're trying to do is create a safe place to have difficult conversations because sometimes it's really hard to find people that you could talk with, people to have good conversations with or to talk about sensitive topics with. And what we believe here on the podcast is that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them 100%. And so here on the podcast, we want to create a place to have all of those types of conversations. And today I am talking with my aunt Brenda. And so uh, without any further, wait, let me tell you about her. And then we're going to jump right into part two of the conversation. Now, if you consider yourself a lifelong learner, you know, please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe to my Substack, to where I'm just learning from many different things. And yeah, so if you're interested in learning more, please subscribe to the Substack and just all of that stuff as well. So let me tell you a little bit about my Aunt Brenda, and then we are going to jump into the conversation. So Brenda Young is the former lead pastor at Cornerstone Church, and she served there in one capacity or another since 1978, but was the lead pastor from 1996 through 2020. She is also the founder and director of Clear Blue Water Project and has a graduate uh, degree from Ohio Christian University in Asbury Theological Seminary with an honorary doctor of divinity, divinity degree from the Center for contemporary Christianity in Bangalore, India. And she is a frequent speaker as well as well as an author. She is authored Only God, co-authored that with Dwight Mason, which is my dad, and Grace and Truth, Finding Balance in the Christian Life, Beauty on the Mountains, and Poppy's Work Glove. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Aunt Brenda, I'm excited to have you back on the podcast for our part two. I'm excited to be here. Maybe I won't talk so much this time. <laughs> so kind of pick it up where we left off of just going through uh, many of your just life lessons and everything. The next one that I want to ask you about is always give your dreams more weight than your fears and then I love that you put this. You said, this is a life lesson. This life lesson is one I have to keep learning. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's true. And I could go back. I could, I could go back to my youngest days, you know, my, my very youngest days. Um, I've taken jobs that, well, I, I worked when I was a, a senior in high school. I worked in a, in a hospital, and I hated seeing blood, you know. <laughs> And I was like, I felt like that there was a possibility I was going to be a missionary, 
And at that point in time, you were either a missionary, uh, a medical missionary or a teacher if you were a woman, because I'd never seen women preach, you know, as, as far as pastoring or uh, being a, that kind of a missionary before. And so I thought I should try out working in the hospital and see how that went. And it scared me. It scared me. But um, my dream was big enough to try that. And I, I have had that, I've had that impetus in my life for a really, really long time. And, you know, my calling to be a pastor, um, I had to step up to that dream because I didn't have, I could count on one hand the people that were telling me to go for it. Everybody else was saying, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was scary. It's scary when people don't agree with you. You know, especially if you have people that you love you, that love you, and you you have no doubt that you they love you and you do respect them, but they don't agree with you. That that very situation gives your fear a lot of weight. But you have to know yourself well, and you have to know that you know God and you recognize His voice, and and so um, with with being a a female in ministry, um, that dream and calling. I had to keep coming, you know, keep coming back to that because it's, you, you already know this, Caleb, in your ministry and, you know, you're a newlywed, kind of, you yeah. know, it's been a little while now, but, but you're still uh, new at this and as much as you loved your wife to step into a commitment that was for your lifetime, um, big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big deal. All these things, you have to give your dream your dream more weight than the fear because there will always be fear. Fear is is a, a natural human emotion, and God did allow us to have fear to protect us, but we we can't give it too much weight. You know, we have to look at it. So all the way, and then, you know, just in in recent years, I've had lots of losses, and um, to give your dreams more weight than your fears means that you have to be willing to keep dreaming a new dream. You know, when Charlie died, I did not dream of this season of life without my husband. I, that was not my dream. You know, we have um, stones and signs around the house that say, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. That was my dream. And um, so I had to give a new dream that was an uncomfortable dream, more weight than my fear, and you know, remind myself that God is faithful, that he's always been with me, and that the future uh, didn't look like I had thought it would look, but it was still going to be a good future, and have to dream a new dream. So, you know, there's lots of things I'm, I'm doing. I'm writing more than I used to. Uh, you know, I'm trying to uh, work with people. If Charlie was living here now, he, w- he would be throwing a fit over the amount of counseling I do. Um, but that's, an, that's a new dream. It's just a new way that I'm, I'm living my life. And um, I, I would tell everybody at every season of life, your inner voice is going to be quicker to listen to fear than anything else. And you have to point your finger in the face of that fear and say, I refuse to listen to you. I refuse to listen to you because it will stop you in your tracks about everything. You know, it, it just will. Um, it will tell you that you've failed. You, there will be when, when we left our denomination and ended up losing our church through it, or we, you know, we call it lose it, but we gave it back to them. Um, my fear told me I was a failure. 
who wants to come to the last part of your ministry and feel like something that was very significant was gone and it's your fault? Well, the way the Lord helped me rephrase that, and that's what you have to do if you're going to face your fear down. Your fear will always tell you something that has a piece of truth in it. You have to grab a hold of the piece of truth and tell the real truth. And the real truth is not that I failed. The, the real truth was that I made an integrity choice, and it cost me. Mm-hmm. But it actually made me a success. Yeah. And it, my, my overall dream is to finish well. My overall dream for my life is to respect myself on my last day. You know, make sure I really respect myself and make sure that the people who know me best and love me most respect me. That's my big dream. And so you have to face down your fear or you will cave to the ideas of other people and you will feel like a failure. And so you'll make a poor choice stepping away from your big dreams in order to get approval in the moment. And that is a lousy way to live. I've done that a few times never works out well. <laughs> so that's what I mean. I have to learn it. You know, I'm learning it right now. I'm, I'm learning it right now um, because just like, you know, the, the world situation right now is so frightening. If you think about that, you make bad decisions. I talked to a young lady yesterday. She's not a believer. And, and she told me the world is so bad. None of us are going to live through this period of time. I don't believe she, she said so. I believe eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we will die. I said, wow, is that your biggest dream? <laughs> is that your biggest dream? And she said, what else is there? And, of course, it led us to a pretty good discussion. But um, we all can go that direction. If we, don't, if, we do not, if we do not pick up God's dream that our life will have purpose, our fears will eat us alive. Talk to me about like just dr- dreaming again. Dreaming again. Because I mean, if if you live long enough, your dream is going to at least one of your dreams is going to die. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have people who who dream of being parents and it never happens or it does happen and they lose a child or or their children don't you know, turn out, as we say, the way they wanted them to. And so that dream is gone. And there, there's just so many, many things. Like you said, if you live long enough, you're, you're going to have at least one dream die. And I will say very optimistically, I believe you'll have more yeah, than yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's going to be more than one. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have dreams of different sizes die. I think, you're, I think that the, the, the secret to dreaming again is having an overall goal goal Mm -hmm. that you want your life to accomplish. And it needs to be something, it needs to be really, you know, it needs to be something that is magnificent, bigger than a job, bigger than a person. It has to be something that is magnificent. And your dream has to only, it needs to only depend on you and God. If any time you give your dream, Caleb, to somebody else, and it, it, you have to have them to make this dream come true. You're in for a world of heartache because you can only influence other people. You can't, you can't command other people. You, you can't make anyone participate with you. You have no control over their choices. You can only influence them. And so um, 
like in in your marriage, your goal needs to be that every night you go to bed knowing that God knows and you know you did your absolute best to be a good husband. If you have the goal of having a great marriage, that's not all up to you. You can't you can't do that. So you can only control your own self. So I think the the secret of dreaming in the first place is to have something so big it only depends on you and God. And so that would be um, one of a, a part of my lifetime dream is to be a positive communicator. And I would do that with my words, my life, written and spoken, you know, all of those. And so um, I don't have a pulpit for a platform anymore, but I do write. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I'm on Facebook. I, I believe it's a mission and calling to use social media for good. There's so much bad about it. Um, so that is dreaming again. I'm, you know, being a communicator in a different kind of way uh, than I've done before because my big goal my big goal didn't depend on a job. It depended on the choices I would make. Yeah. And it didn't depend on Charlie being here or you yeah. know anything like that. So I would say dreaming again, when, when the path that your dream appeared to be taking that was being fulfilled, when that gets shattered, when that path gets a dead end, go back and look at the big goal again and say, in this season of my life, how can I hit that target? What can I do then? And God is so faithful. He will give you all kinds of ideas, and he'll, he'll bring people into your life and opportunities in your life that will be a springboard for that, that dream to move into the future. And, you know, and I don't think, I, I think that, you know, they, in the Bible, they, the early part of Joseph's life, um, they refer to him as Joseph the dreamer. Joseph was not just a dreamer when he was young. He dreamed every day of his life. Even when he was on his deathbed and he was minutes away from leaving, he was reaching out his hand to his sons, to his children, and he was dreaming a blessing over them. He was dreaming of their future. And and that's where, you know, part of my life dream right now is building into my grandkids. You know, I want to go to every sports activity, every program they have. I want to, um, you know, I write them notes. I, I try to communicate with them as much as I can because a big part of my dream is that they will be who God wants them to be. And I've asked God to let me live long enough that none of them will ever forget what Mama said. <laughs> you know, I just want them to remember that. And I want it to be important to them that they see me again. Yeah. And so that's part of my dream. I just think we just keep dreaming. Yeah. The last thing I, at least for right now, that I want to ask you about for this is, has fear changed over the years has for fear. you? Yeah, has fear changed? Like, has your experience of fear changed yes. over the years? Yes. Um, I, I think probably the best general uh, picture that I could give of that. And if you don't understand it, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I will. Okay. Um, fear, I used to be afraid of what people would do to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was afraid of uh, things outside me like 
you know, like the wars and the stuff that we have now. And I was afraid of school and, you know, people not liking me and afraid of criticism and all of that. So fear came from the outside more. And then as I, as I began to really um, focus on my life, I kind of got afraid of what God could do to me. <laughs> you know, it was not, I was not concerned about, about people so much. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said, don't, don't fear the people who can kill your body, but fear the one who has control over your, your total existence, fear him. And so, but he didn't mean it in a scared fear. He meant it in a different kind of fear. And I'm going to have to say it took me a little while to transform that fear of God from a scared fear to a reverence for God and to just, and be able to say, you know, I just don't want to disappoint him. I just don't want to disappoint him. And then as I grew in my relationship with God, um, I, I'm not afraid of God anymore. And I, I mean, I, I spent too much time being afraid of, you know, afraid I wouldn't please God. Yeah. And now I understand that he is pleased with me. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, even, even when I mess up, it's not his grave disappointment in me. It's not that. It's he just, you know, he's he's like a good parent with your children. You just want to help them, you know, f- get get it right for their own sake, not yeah. not for yours. So so I don't have that fear of God anymore. What I would say, my fear now is uh, fear is mostly, uh, and, well, I'll say that in a minute. But fear mostly right now is the fear of myself fear of, um, you know, I just, I, I want to finish well and I, I want to respond well in situations and, and, you know, I, I recognize more than I ever have on how unpredictable life is, you know, what you think you have today, you may not have in five minutes, you know, and, and I, my fear, which is not paralyzing, but it is one that comes to my mind my fear is that I will not respond in a way that will be helpful and will honor God. And I want to do that. You know, if, if we had, if we had a terrible tragedy happen here in our land again, that, you know, was mammoth and affected the entire nation. I, I want to be able to respond with the wisdom that a 70-year-old woman who has walked with God most of her life should have. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to say things too quickly or be afraid to say what does need to be said. So I have, and you know, and I don't want to do, I've seen people my age make incredible mistakes that have damaged their life up to that point. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. So I would say that my fears today would basically center around my own choices. And they don't paralyze me. They do drive me to God. Now, you know, as far as fear as an emotion, I can get, like when I have someone, you and I have talked before about our family DNA tendency to worry, you know, and worry is fear just in smaller doses. (laughs) But um, I can... I can think of my kids, of something happening to them, or I can get some news that I immediately get that sick feeling in my stomach, like, ugh, this is not what I wanted. 
you know, and I, and I can still get that fear in a moment, but, you know, uh, Paul, Paul tells us that what he did was he trained himself. He trained himself. He disciplined himself to respond right. And he urged all of us to do that, you know, godly discipline, do that. And so, you know, when I do that, sometimes I, in fact, just this last week, I was sitting in my recliner reading and um, a piece of news came up and I felt that sick in, you know, in the pit of my stomach. And I, and I immediately trained myself. God is in control. He is faithful. This fear is not from him. So reject it. And so I did. You know, I, but I, you'll, you'll battle fear of some kind your whole life because, because, you know, God gave it to us for a good reason. Satan twisted into something that will make us disobey and live less than who we are. For like that shift that you were talking about in your relationship with God from being afraid that he was going to punish you to um, just for being afraid of disappointing him. Yeah. Do you think that's, is that just because you spent more time with him and like your relationship yeah. got better? Yeah. Or? Yeah. yeah. And I spent time with people who represented him well. You know, I got to tell you, if you want an intimate relationship with God, intimate, what do you think of, Caleb, when I say the word intimate? What do you think? close. You think love, you think yeah. comfort, right? Yeah. There are a whole bunch of preachers on television and in local churches that if you want an intimate relationship with God, you need to not be listening to because they preach fear. Yeah. They preach fear and God does not want that from us. He wants us to have a trusting. You cannot be intimate with somebody that you're afraid of. You yeah. absolutely cannot. And so I absolutely turned off some influences in my life. Yeah. I, I spent more time with God. I spent more time with people who it was evident by the way they loved others that they, that they knew God intimately because they looked and sounded like Jesus. And the more I did that, the less fear I had. Yeah. You know, it just made me think of something. And, you know, feel free to go off on this if you want. But one of the things that I've just been thinking about a lot more um, recently is you know, God knows everything. God knows everything that we're going through and, and all of that stuff. There's nothing that surprises him. But I think one of, just in the last few days, as I've just been talking, I was talking with a friend of mine and the illustration that came to my mind is like, you know, even though he knows everything, he always, he always waits for us to ask for help. Exactly. Even though he knows everything. And, yes. it, and literally just as we were sitting here, it just made me think of the, I stand at the door and I knock. And I'm right there. And I already, it's like, I already knew that you needed me. I already knew that you needed help, but I'm just waiting for you to open up the door. Just waiting for you to do it. Yes. Because he, you know, he, he works with us to grow us and to help us. And, you know, the same, the same thing, he's a perfect parent, Mm -hmm. but a parent who's wanting to equip their children for life and to have a close adult with relationship with them, they don't do everything for their kids. They let their kids grow and ask for help. And, and when you know how it is, when you're, when you're in that independent stage and you think you don't need your parents for anything, yeah. the best thing that can happen to you is for them to step back and let you see you do need yeah. them. Yeah. And then you invite them in and then you have an adult relationship. 
with with parents and that's the way you know we parents mess that up all the time we don't get that very good a lot of the time but God always gets it right you know he's he's not going to push his way in but he's going to be so there like you said he's right there at the yeah. door yeah. <laughs> that's so good thank yeah. you yeah uh the the next uh lesson is if you are an intentional learner every experience adds to your life a negative event doesn't have to have a negative impact. Right. Boy, that's a tough one. Because, again, that's, that is, it, it actually goes along with living your dream. Mm-hmm. If you believe that your dream has come from God, your big, big dream, you know, your big one, um, every experience will push you towards that, you know, if you choose that it will. Because it, it, can't, it can't take it away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of the, some of the greatest communicators for the world, to the world, for God, have been people who had the vehicle that they thought was going to be the way they did it, dashed and taken away. And, you know, they chose to move on. They learned. They learned how to do things different. And, and if you, but you have to be intentional about it. You can't, you know, it's like uh, people say time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time deepens bitterness. Time scars our memories. It does all kinds of ugly things if you're not intentional about it. You and you know you're you're young, Caleb, but you've already learned that in a couple of ways that have been yeah. very difficult. You've had you have had situations that have been there's no other way to describe them but negative. Yeah. You know, negative things have happened. I have too. Um, Negative things have happened, but the mark they leave on your life doesn't have to be negative if you're intentional. If you say, I, I am not going to let this, you know, you can, have, you can have a scar, but it doesn't have to be disfiguring. It doesn't have to disfigure the image of God in you. It doesn't have to do that. And, and so you have to be intentional, learn from people who have been through. I, I remember when you were going through a very hard time, uh, you told me a little bit during the time, but more after the time, about a number of people who had experienced something similar to you. Mm-hmm. And you were able to get their knowledge and use it to move forward. And that's, you know, that's where I have been. I think, you know, we can have major mentors for our life, and then there's mentors in seasons. Yeah. And in a season, there may be somebody that and God's so faithful at this. If you're intentional, if you're saying, oh, God, please don't let these tears be wasted. Please don't let this negative thing be have a negative impact. Don't, don't let it scar my life up in a way that, that makes me bitter and hard and unfeeling or, or, or leaves me so pathetic I can't move forward. Don't let that happen. Well, he doesn't want that to happen, so he's anxious to answer our prayers. Yeah. So he will send people and experiences and things into our lives um, to make that happen. But the key word here is intentional. You do have to look. You have to be alert and aware. Uh, when Charlie died, I immediately got on Amazon, scrolled down, ordered myself a whole stack of books. And I said, I am going to have to learn from people who, who can help me here. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Sitzer's books on grief, those two books were so, so helpful to me because he was open, vulnerable. He shared what it was like when he lost his wife, not only his wife, his children. And, and it was, 
he mentored me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to know somebody for them to mentor you. You have to be intentional. Yeah. And so you have to listen to podcasts. I had uh, Stephen Furtick and Andy Stanley on, on uh, you know, when, when dreams don't come true and anxiety, giving your anxiety to God. I listened to those things. I went to sleep every night, every night from about the third day after Charlie died with one of those podcasts playing uh, for me. And it intentionally moved me forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it just intentionally did. And um, as when Charlie died, uh, which, you know, that was a, a time I had to intentionally learn that's been most recently, mm-hmm. um, there, you know, there were mistakes that people made in that situation, which um, required some forgiveness from me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so intentionally learning about forgiveness and, and, you know, in a new situation for me, it's easy to talk about other people needing to forgive, but when it's in your lap, you, you need some help. And it, yeah. it just needs to be, that's, that's the key word to that, to me, intentional. No bad experience that you have will turn out for good in your life um, unless you work with God. That, and Romans 8, 28 tells us that. Yeah. It tells us that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, called requires action. Yeah. You know, you have to be intentional. You have to do that. So I, I would say anybody that's having or has had uh, negative things in their life that they can still feel there's an impact, you you need to get a hold of, uh, some books and podcasts, some people talk to God about this and intentionally make a strategic plan for how your recovery is going to be. Yeah. You know, you can, when I do counseling, I, you know, I tell, I tell people real frequently, I can't do this for you. Mm-hmm. You, you've had a divorce, you know, you've been betrayed, you've, you've got this kind of thing. Here's some resources I can give you, but if you don't do your homework, there's no point in us talking. Yeah. There's just no point. And I think that God wants us to know that. Yeah. You can pray your head off, but if you're expecting me to wave a magic wand and make yeah. you be better, it's not happening. Yeah. You have to be intentional and work yeah. with God. Yeah. Well, even even to that point, like I just think about, like through that intentionality, time becomes your friend. Absolutely. It does. Too. Yes. That, that is so good. I'm glad you brought that up because time will be your friend and you will over time find healing because it's, it's like, you know, okay, so I have a friend, I just uh, spoke with her this morning. Uh, she's in the hospital right now, great, great deal of pain, gallbladder, and it's gone into uh, pancreas issues, which I had had the same thing. And I, you know, shared with her my experience that, you know, they're going to do the work and she's going to do the work and she's going to be okay, but she's been in a, in a great deal of pain. Well, if she just stayed home and prayed, oh God, this is really hurting. Please fix this. The chances are pretty good. She would have died over, you know, she would have, at least she would have been severely damaged by it. Well, we do that with emotional stuff. We don't do it with physical stuff. You know, you, but it's, you let gangrene set in emotionally if you just expect time to do it by itself because time will either rot it or heal it. 
yeah. depending on the choices that you make. Yeah. And like you, you know, you're down the roads from some of your negative experiences now, and time has definitely been your friend. Yeah. You can talk about them without feeling that stab in your heart the same way with me. I can, you know, when, when Charlie first died, I could hardly mention his name without crying. I laugh. I feel good about him. Yeah. I have great experiences. And, of course, there's st still some tears. And he didn't die negatively, didn't die with anything ugly or anything like that. But, but you know, you, I would be in a far different place today mm -hmm. if I had not intentionally worked. And that's just where we all are. Yeah, yeah. Time has has been a great friend to me yeah. yes you know somewhat related i'd just be curious to hear what are you learning right now oh man <laughs> i'm learning lots of things i'm learning i've been a leader in charge of something or someone and generally quite a few someone's mm -hmm. most of my life i'm not in charge of nobody now <laughs> I'm not in charge of anyone but me yeah. and Barkley. Yeah. And most of the time, I think Barkley's more in charge of yeah. me than I am yeah. with him. I was going to say, and Barkley, Barkley's your dog. Yes, yes, and, Barkley's and my dog. And sometimes Barkley thinks he's in charge. <laughs> yes, I would say 99% of the time he thinks he's in charge. Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of the things I'm learning now and in a different way, I knew, you know, I knew it before, like in working with people, but one of the things that I'm learning now, and it's, it's difficult, is I don't have to say everything I think. Mm -hmm. um, I might be right. I might be wrong. You know, when you're not in leadership over something, you don't know that story. I think this now, I, you know, I dread the campaign season. Mm -hmm. I may hibernate someplace, Caleb. I may be hard to find during yeah. then because I, I hate it. I hate hearing politicians say, what they're going to do. They're trying to win the election based on what they're going to do when they get into office. And then they spend the rest of, when they get elected, they spend the rest of those years um, breaking virtually every promise they made. And it's, it's not necessarily because they lacked integrity, but you know, I don't care who you are. Even if you're the vice president before that, you have no clue what it is to be president until you're president. Yeah. Same way. You have no clue what it is to be a dad or a mom until you are a dad or a mom and until you're dad or mom of those specific children because it doesn't translate across the board. I don't know what it is to do your job. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know what it is to be a pastor, but I don't know what, what it is to be the pastor of the church I pastored right now. Yeah. You know, I don't know that. And so I don't know all that, that stuff. So saying everything that I think is is just not necessary yeah. and generally not helpful try to be like jesus standing at the door and knocking <laughs> yeah. and and being invited to share an opinion most of the time is i'm learning that is best for me and that's best with my children adult children you know across the board i try very hard not to give advice on child raising that's a lesson that i'm learning as as far as other things i'm i'm uh, learning Every day of my life, I feel like I learn a little bit more about what it is to love like Jesus. You know, when he said, I want you to love others in the way I have loved you. 
wow, when I look at how Christ has loved me, there's no end to the learning of what, how I need to love other people, you know, to love them uh, patiently. Um, so learning to love, and it goes into all other different things. I am two different specific fields that I'm trying to learn all that I can is in the areas of racial relationships. Mm -hmm. I know what it is as a woman in ministry to feel on the outside looking in. I don't begin to understand what it's like to be a person that has a, a generational history of bias and prejudice and pain. And I'm trying so hard to learn not not, I'm not saying I, I can ever feel it the way they feel it. Mm -hmm. But in that situation, I want to love as I have been loved. Mm -hmm. I have incredible privilege. When people say, oh, white privilege is a joke. No, it's not. You're lying to yourself because you don't want responsibility if you're saying that. White privilege is absolutely a truism. It really, truly is. I've been around the world. Virtually everybody wishes they could experience being an American and a white American. Uh, we have white privilege, and if that makes the listeners mad, so be it. Try to learn a little bit. I mean, we've, we've <laughs> talked about that so much on the podcast. If they're mad, then... they What are they doing still listening? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's that. I'm trying to learn what is, at this stage of my life, what is the best way that I can live and respond and be helpful uh, with the remaining years of my life to make a, a difference in that area. I'm trying to learn that. Same way with LGBTQ+. Plus. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to take off all the filters of what I've been taught and read the Bible for myself and concentrate on Jesus, his attitude, learn what he would be thinking, what he would be doing, and I'm trying to respond in that, in that manner. And so, of course, I'm going back to learning to care less and less about what people think of me. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big deal. And it, it's like, I've laughed. I told my kids, um, if I keep making people mad, I'm, there may be nobody but you guys at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be back, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm trying, yeah. what I'm intentionally trying to learn is how to be helpful mm -hmm. in the areas where our world is so broken. How can I actually be helpful? Mm -hmm. and, and I know that um, being a condemning voice is not it. Being a, a voice that assumes I know everything is not it. I, I'm, I guess, Caleb, the best answer is I'm, I'm learning how to be a learner in today's in today's world. I feel like um, there's too much of us talking and too little listening with compassion. And so I'm, I'm trying to do that. And um, I, you and I care about a lot of the same things. And so, you know, I'm trying to read books. You see that stack right over there? I, I got. I, I have, the, those are mostly right now, those are novels that have been given to me to read, but there are other things uh, that those books over there, I have a, I have, oh, oh well, I have multiple bookcases downstairs, but yeah. one, one bookcase in the hallway is 
full of things that I hope to read this winter yeah. and learn, you know, just learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I always love just asking people just about their learning stuff. Is there just anything else like pertaining to like how you learn or like a process that you go about for learning? Well, I like to, I like to hear things and I like to read things and I like to discuss things. Mm -hmm. And you can pretty much tell what path I'm on by if you're with me for for 10 minutes and you have time to talk, yeah. it's going to come up, yeah. you know. And so I'll read about it, I'll listen to things about it, and and I'll talk to people and dialogue about it and process in my mind. I'm continually processing. Like, you know, um, I don't watch a lot of TV. I, you know, I'm, I try when COVID was a, a time to develop terrible habits because, you know, it was so boring. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a period of time where I kind of devolved into deciding I would watch TV, you know, living here alone. I would watch TV and nothing good seemed to be on. So I'd just keep looking and then I'd find something and watch it, whether it was good or not. And I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. If, if I don't have a thing that's why I'll ask you if you've seen anything good lately yeah. if I don't know what I'm looking for I don't turn on the TV yeah. uh, to do that so I'm you know it's quiet a lot in here or I have um, Christian music playing occasionally some other music but mostly mostly Christian mu music but it's quiet a lot it's just quiet here mm -hmm. and I like it that way because my brain is going and I'm thinking and I'm processing and I'll do that and and then that's why you see scraps of paper everywhere. I need to be more organized like you with your notebooks about how you uh, write things down um, in a more organized fashion. But I have scraps of paper everywhere because, you know, I might be doing laundry and I'm thinking about this. And all of a sudden I think, oh, this, this is where this is. I need to concentrate on this. Mm -hmm. And so I have a tablet in my in my bedroom where the washing machine is and I'll grab it, you know, write it down and, yeah. and, um, and do that. But it's, it's a process, all of those things, listening, um, reading, talking is a big point talking because, you know, there's always, every time we talk, you know, I get some new thoughts and mm -hmm. it helps me and it's like, you know, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And so that's, that's the process for me, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I always, if I've learned something new, I always follow it up by writing about it yeah. because it's one, when I can communicate what I've learned, then I know I've learned it. Had, I don't know. Just talk to me more about that. Okay. Um, when I read something from Jesus that strikes me in a whole new way and I'm like, I think this is what he really meant. It's for sure what he's meaning to me right now. So then I try to distill it into a paragraph or something to share, and I will write about it. And many times I will share about it in, um, on Facebook or on social media, generally Facebook. I'll share about it there. Um, I, I lead a small group for uh, the church, and I decided I'm, I'm really, really deeply studying the book of Luke mm -hmm. right now. And I decided that I would lead a Bible study on the book of Luke called Reason to Believe, um, and that I would do it from my own study. 
And I would do that because sharing the things that I'm discovering would cement them in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so um, that that just helps me. And I have I have a, that notebook over there. You'll see the big the blue notebook. Yeah. It's just full of my notes on on Luke. Yeah. And some of them. I write so many notes that I can't stand to write it anymore. My hand hurts, and so I'll start typing them and print them out and paste them in, <laughs> because I'm I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing new new things. Like for instance, I you know we have we have some Christians who are so intent on keeping the law and they think everybody should keep it, and you know, um, like old laws, like Old Testament, you know that that kind of stuff. And I, I read in Luke something that had, I, I've read the Bible through, I couldn't even tell you how many times now, but yeah. dozens of times. And the Gospels more than that. This one never hit me before. In Luke chapter 2, I think it is. It's when Zechariah, after, you know, the father of John the Baptist, yeah. after John the Baptist was born, um, he's holding his baby and he's saying a blessing over him. And he says to John the Baptist as a prophecy over his own son, and it's just so amazing because his son is going to be the first prophet of giving the word of the Lord to people in more than 400 years, and he doesn't know that. He just knows what God has spoken to his spirit. Yeah. But he says to him, he, said, he says, oh, my little son. He, he talks about the blessing of the Lord on him, and then he says, you will be use God will uh, use you to show people that the forgiveness of sins is no longer through the keeping of the law never noticed that before it was like a neon sign going ching 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 you know so I wrote about it and I taught about it mm -hmm. and it's it's in my head he prepared the way for the Lord and that's what Jesus came to show us that this intimate relationship we want with God it never worked through the killing of sacrifices or the sacrifice of trying to keep all of these minute laws and all that kind of stuff. It was to show us the only way was a permanent forgiveness of our sins, a permanent way, the one lamb for the whole world. Yeah. And Jesus was it. And it was like, of course he pointed the way to Jesus. Yeah. Of course he did. And it, I don't know, it's been, that was like, I don't know, maybe three months ago that I read that. Mm -hmm. I'm so slow. I'm going so slow. I'm only in chapter 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it just, it spoke to me so clearly and so profoundly. And though, so then, of course, it led me to other scriptures. And yeah. it was important to me to connect the dots and tie them together and write it all down. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, the next lesson is write. It helps you remember why you started and gives you the energy and wisdom to keep moving. I think that much of our discouragement and depression and our sense of angst about our lives, so much of it, is because we don't write, because we, we make no record of what God has done and where we've been. You know, the the most discouraged person, it would be a rare thing 
if they would traverse back over their life and look where they came from to where they are, Mm -hmm. they would have to see, it's a wonder I'm alive. God has done some good things for me. You know, I, I, I try to lead people through that process when I counsel them. And, you know, they'll say, you know, my life has been tragic. My life has had nothing. And, and so then we'll start talking and I'll say, well, tell me about this and tell me about this. And, well, you have beautiful grandchildren. How did you get them? You know, so we talk about that. And, and then, you know, the point is, okay, so if in an hour talking here, you came up with six or seven pretty big stones that got uncovered in your life. Don't you think if you would make a record of things, it would make a difference for you? That's why I write on stones here at my house and keep them in jars. You know, um, I do it in my in my planner. I write back what you know things that has happened that day, because Caleb, I'm telling you, here's what we think. You don't have children yet, but you will. And here's what I promise you will happen. They will do the cutest things. They will say the most amazing things. And you would swear on a stack of Bibles you'll never forget them. And yet you will. You will. You will forget those profound things. You, you'll forget them. There will be a few that you remember. Most of them you will forget unless you keep a record of them. One of the things that we have an advantage of today over everything else, everyone before us is that we have, you know, the phones that video and we have this, um, you know, uh, one of my sons is voracious, Jacob. You know, he's, he's always recording. He keeps lists on his phone of things that are happening, making little videos. Um, and, and we do that kind of informally. If you save your Facebook or social media post, you have that. But if, if you don't have that, you'll forget it. Like if, you, if you're on Facebook, anybody that's on Facebook, you have a memories thing that comes up. If you take the time to look at that memory, it'll be a year ago or maybe 10 years ago, however long you've been on Facebook. A memory will come up, and it was so profound you've posted about it, but you would have never remembered it if you didn't write it down. And those things can just fill you with warmth. They make you feel so happy, so good, all those kinds of things. Well, so we can we can do that, and we can do it kind of unintentionally because we post. Of course, you know some people most, mostly write ugly things. They don't write the good stuff. They tell the you know what's discouraging them. But I think I, Oprah Winfrey years ago suggested a gratitude journal that you keep a gra- gratitude journal where every day you write something down. And I don't know if that was original with her. Probably not. They say there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. But but maybe she was the first in a generation to think of it. But I think that for particularly for uh, someone who is living their life intentionally, nothing will help you much more than writing, mm-hmm. than writing things down. Now, I like them. You can, you can do it anywhere. You can do it on your phone. You can do it in, your, in a journal. You can do it on a computer. You can do it whatever way is, is best for you. I, I like hard copy just because I like the feel of things in my hand, you know, I like that. So I do I do a lot of that, but it will help you. I have a sign, is it in this room now? No, I don't think it's in this room now. It's somewhere, it's in one of my rooms, um, but it says, remember why you started, and it's just that sign, remember why you started. And that's important to me because life gets so busy. You know, we, 
we forget and, and and we pass by things and we'll get so discouraged for instance just let's just take being a parent yeah. when you're a parent um you had those babies because you wanted to pass a legacy on because you wanted to you knew they would bring joy you knew that um that you would give joy to them you had great dreams and plans and all that kind of stuff for them if you don't if you don't write things down your parenting will turn into a, a a gerbil wheel of making meals, washing laundry, doing that kind of stuff, and you will forget the profound things that happen, and you will forget, you know, the, the child will be three years old, and you'll think, oh, these terrible threes, the terrible fours, this is just so terrible, it's so terrible, and you will forget that, honestly, you have some really bad times, but you have some days of incredible glory and you look and you think this little helpless child was in the hospital six weeks longer than necessary for the average baby and look at him he's got so much energy today that he wears me out if you don't write things down and call to remembrance them you will not do well and so I write my daughter and her family writes they do they do post-it notes everybody can make a post-it note and they keep them all in a jar. And on New Year's Day, the end of the year, and the next day, they read them all together and remember what has happened that year and then keep them. I, I do that with my stones and with my writing in my book. When I have, I do a passion planner every year. And the last weekend of this year, I'll be going through this, getting ready for the next one. And I promise you, I'll be sitting in my chair crying with such joy about what God has done. And if you, you know, if you have any gift of writing at all, you can do that. If you're poor this Christmas, and most people are, <laughs> you know, most of us are feeling a little bit poor, yeah. the best gift you could give to your family is writing each one of them a handwritten note or a typewritten note that says, this is what you mean to me. These are the qualities I see in you. This is where you are. That writing will do so much for you and so much for them, and you will remember why did we start this family in the first place? Well, we thought it would bring us happiness. We thought we thought we could bring glory to God, but we have gotten so tied up in the daily work of life that we forget that we're actually accomplishing the reason for which we started. <laughs> and so we just need to take time, pull back, sit down, and write. I believe it so much. I believe it. I I heard this is not to brag on me it's just to say where it yeah. is you know because we we work together yeah. that I send out a lot of notes this week four different people told me the note they got from me last week was their lifeline mm -hmm. they were just names God brought to my mind and told me you should send them a card and you should handwrite you should yeah. write something you can do that so much for people I got a thank you note yesterday from a girl that grew up in our church and dedicated uh, her baby here, and they live far away now. And I had sent them a little package of not expensive stuff, my the book that I'd written for children and an, another book and a couple baby bibs and a spoon. Sent it to them with a note to the baby. <laughs> I got a thank you note for her yesterday, and she said, we'll never forget this. We'll never forget this. This is a priceless gift to us, mm -hmm. my card. Right. Yeah. Right. It helps you remember why you started. It gives you so much encouragement. And when you write, you'll look back at those things and you'll say, 
my life made a difference this year. And that's what we're living for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're making me think of um, one of the things that I decided that, I decided that I'm going to do in 24 is I'm going to start a five-year journal. Have you heard of five-year journals? Is that where you write one thing a day? You write, yeah, you write one thing a day and then you go back the next year. And, and write, write again. I have had a little book like that, The only, but I was dissatisfied with it. I only did it, I think, three years. I didn't do it the five years because yeah. it asked you a specific question, and some of the questions were not applicable to me. Yeah. I like, do, do you have a specific journal you write it in, or do you... Um, well, I'm, I'm going to start it for 2024. Yeah, but uh, I, what I'm meaning is, do you buy a five-year journal? Is it divided yeah. up that way? Yeah. Great. You'll have to tell me yeah. where to get one I won't. Yeah. yeah. And I hope I'm here in five years to go back and look. <laughs> I, I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, uh, couple other things and honestly i think uh we might have to do a part three, <laughs> which is great i, I love okay. i love talking with you um two um actually a couple couple things that i want to um ask you about is one i would just love to hear what are some of the like the habits that you just look back on your life and you go wow these are some of the the best habits that you've decided to choose or pursue consistently? Okay, well, you know, of course, there's staying in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, have, I have a love for the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I have a love for that. So I'm, I'm not putting that down at all. But a habit to stay in the whole Word of God. Jesus spoke of himself as the Word. And, you know, the people who made the greatest impact on the world that the world has ever seen were the believers who didn't have a Bible, you know, and still around the world, that is true. So the biggest, the biggest habit, more than reading, more than reading a specific Bible to me is being in, um, making an effort every day to be in contact with God, you know, to wake up in the morning and acknowledge his presence and, and his care through the night and, um, you know, just letting his living words speak to you. When, um, when, when the Bible says, and again, when Paul wrote it, he didn't know he was writing the Bible, but he said the word of God is, is a living and it's active and it's sharper than any two edged sword. He wasn't talking about what he was writing. Mm -hmm. He was talking about when God speaks to you, it's living and active. And God does. If you, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So if the number one habit of your life is just walking in his presence, acknowledging him, you know, you, you see something happening and you say, oh, Jesus, please be close to those people, be close to those people. And you pray, you pray about that. And then, you know, you have a worry come to your mind. And that's one of the things that's helped me so much to, to act actually, um, live in the presences as uh, brother Lawrence said years ago is um, is taking every every situation every thought of my life just recognizing Jesus is here with me and you know letting my mind speak to him um, about everything about things I worry about about things I'm happy about this morning I looked out and the the sunrise was just gorgeous through the trees and I was like thank you Jesus and I took my phone and went out and took a picture of it that's I think that is the biggest thing recognizing that the word of God that is most important is the word that Jesus the Holy Spirit are continually speaking to me and then 
of course, reading the Bible. There are wonderful things there. The Old Testament is primarily given to us for, um, for illustration. And, you know, to, to give us that. Jesus, the words, the words in the uh, life of Jesus are so profoundly instructive. You can read them over and over again and get something new every time. So I would say the habit of practicing the presence of Christ and then using the word that has come down to us so, uh, so profoundly protected by God so it did come to us and we can know studying the book of Luke and seeing everything that he he is so careful like when he writes it's like he's saying fact check me this really happened because he'll tell you the exact date the exact time and he said in in Luke I don't know if you're aware of this or not but Luke is the only time that the age of Jesus is ever mentioned and it says he was about 30 years old at this time and he, Luke got all of his information from eyewitness interviews with Mary and, yeah. you know, other people. So, so anyways, you learn so much from that. So staying in the word, being intentional about that, practicing the presence of Christ, those two big things. Another uh, habit that I have had for absolutely years, mm-hmm. it started when Charlie and I were in Cincinnati, the first couple years of our marriages, I made a commitment that I would not let a single week go by without writing at least one note of encouragement to somebody. And I used to do it on Sunday afternoons um, because people would be fresh on my mind. And um, so I've carried that habit for my life. And, And I would say it has benefited other people, but it's benefited me more than anyone else because it's helped me to uh, recognize that we are a community of people, that there are people who are discouraged, there are people who have had success and they need someone to acknowledge it. Um, it's helped me realize I'm not alone in this world. It's a very, very important thing. Yeah. Um, an, another habit that has, this may sound kind of funny, yeah. uh, but is to um, to kind of pick out, identify the roles that I expect myself to play in, in life, mm-hmm. like uh, wife, mother, grandmother, sister, friend, uh, community support, director of Clear Blue, these things. Yeah. Figure, those, figure those things out and determine, and I actually have them written in my planner, determine how I will know if I'm succeeding at that. And, and there are various things that have to be done, like those closest relationships. Um, my being a wife, still to this day, I'll, you know, I'll be a wife forever. Yeah. Being a wife, being a, um, a mother, a grandmother, those three most central ones. And then the extended family, as you know, you're very important to me. The rest of my family is very important to me. The first three, I cannot let a week go by. It's a habit. I cannot let a week go by without having contact with those people and have, having some kind of interaction in our life. And then beyond that, adding to it. And I have to do that. The, the one you know I have in jobs, it's easy to fail in, in jobs that you don't get paid for. You know, If you get paid for and you have to produce, um, you're more likely to be intentional. But in the jobs that I've listed, I don't get paid for anything. That, that I do. And so those things, it's, I've had to develop habits to make sure I'm being intentional and doing that. So I, I do, you know, I say, these are, I'm going to 
contact, I'm going to do these kinds of things. Um, this sounds crazy, but another habit that has helped me throughout the course of my lifetime, and I never knew it would help me so much at this point of my life. I never stay in my PJs. <laughs> I never run around the house without my hair being combed. I always get up and kind of get ready for the day. Now, some days I'll get ready more significantly than others. You know, I'll dress up a little bit or, or something, and of course I can go without having makeup or anything. But when I was first married, it was important to me because I didn't want Charlie to wake up in the morning and say, ooh, I married sure. her. You know? <laughs> but I found, I, I found out, this is kind of crazy, but I found out when I was in college and in seminary, I did better on tests if I dressed like a capable person when I went there. I just felt... Yeah. I just felt more, I could pick up that pen and I could do this, you know. Yeah. So when I had to take exams, I always dressed up more because I, wa I wanted to feel professional and feel capable. And so when I go into the day, I feel that. I, I, never, I never just slop around till noon. I get up and get ready, and that has helped me. It doesn't help everybody, but it helps me. It's a habit that helps me. And it's especially important now that I'm here alone. I know lots of my uh, widows, friends, friend widows that struggle, and it's very hard to tell them this kind of thing and say, you know, you were living for somebody else. You need to live a little bit for you. You need to get up and do this, and, yeah. and it's hard. You, you program yourself for depression. Another habit that I started years ago was when I, when I get up in the morning, I get up and I go around and I throw open all the windows, let in all the light that I can, yeah. and it's mostly dark out when I wake up, but yeah. let in all the light that I can, I do that, and another thing, I don't go to bed with a house a mess. Mm -hmm. those, those things program my mind to be a better person and to feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't, that, those are the habits no, that come to my mind. Those, those are of course, I brush my teeth and that <laughs> stuff too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. No, and I, I very much appreciate you sharing that stuff. Um, Two lessons that I want to close with. The first one, um, to just kind of, I think, kind of close the loop on some of the things that we were talking about, is uh, you mentioned earlier about forgiveness. And one of your lessons is forgive. The person you were really letting off the hook is you. And then you have, he's not that guy. Refusing to forgive won't. I'm telling you, Caleb, this is a hard lesson for me because... I'm, I'm a very forgiving person by nature, um, not because God has done something great for me. I'm a very forgiving person by nature if you own it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't own it, I have a hard time. Yeah. You know, I, I have a really hard time with that. And in people say in ministry you get hurt a lot and you definitely do but just in general life you get hurt a lot oh, every yeah. everybody does you don't have to be a minister of any kind to to get hurt and so people do things sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally and if it's unintentional and it's clear that it's, it's unintentional i can get by that pretty good as well too and and probably i would say a majority of people can do that yeah. the ones that are hard for me and probably hardest for most people are the ones who who cannot or will not acknowledge that they have really done something that they have damaged you and 
I, you know, I've had this experience on numerous occasions. And, you know, in, in one instance in particular, I'll tell you, I had a, a recurring, recurring issue with someone um, who I initially had considered to be very close to me. And as time went on, um, I began to realize that this was a much more one-sided relationship than I had been aware that it was. But being the kind of person that I have felt like God wanted me to be and my nature is, and then I also, you know, will have to say there's, there's, there's also the thing that I am a people pleaser by nature. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very, it's very, I would rather let things go than call them out most of the time unless I need to. And so I have, people have hurt me more, you know, like Charlie would say, you need to cut loose of this person. And I, it, it was very hard for me to do it. I'd let him just keep hurting me, you know, doing that. Well, so anyways, I, it can get you in a place where you, you have some pretty deep hurts. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had uh, this one particular person that I had an ongoing issue with and, um, they were unwilling to acknowledge, they didn't even have to acknowledge they were wrong. But if they acknowledged that what they did was very hurtful to me, even if they felt it was justified, it would have helped me. Mm -hmm. So this person said, you know, we would have a meeting and, and we would talk. And he invited me to a meeting. So, so I, I went to that meeting and I asked him what it, what it was for. And he said, well, I would like us to reconcile. So, uh, when I, when, when I got there and, you know, we had a little bit of small talk, his, his thing to me was, he just said, well, we might as well get down to it. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this. You know, that's what I was thinking inside. And I said, okay. And his words to me was, I want you to know that all my memories of you are not bad. You could have knocked me off the chair. I was like, after everything that has happened, you've brought me here to forgive me? You want me to know that all your memories of me are not bad? And there was a little more to it, but yeah. it's not, it wouldn't be helpful to share it. Um, and, and I said, well, thank you. I have many, many good memories of you. And he said, good, good. And um, we talked for a minute. And then he said, well, that was my agenda for the morning. What was yours? And I said, I actually didn't have any except what I prayed this morning. I can show it to you on my phone if you need to see it was to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And he said, well, it looks like you've achieved that. Then our agendas are done. Is there anything else? <laughs> I was like, what? We talked, about, we talked about family for a few minutes, and then it was over. Yeah. And I went to my car, and I sat in the car, and I just was so frustrated. I just was so frustrated. And um, I said to Jesus, Jesus, what was that about? I actually bit the hook one more time. I thought this was actually going to change things. And honestly, Caleb, it was as if the Holy Spirit was sitting right in the car with me and speaking to me. And he said, he's not that guy, Brenda. And I said, what guy? And he said, he's not the guy you want him to be. 
you have this picture in your mind of who you think your friend should be. Mm-hmm. And he's not that guy. He's not going to be that guy. You need to let it go. You need to just recognize you cannot shape him into the person that you want him to be. You just got to forgive him and let it go. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And then do you know what happened? About six months later, he did something again. That was at least as painful as something he had done before that. It's with people who are not that guy, but you want them to be, you get hurt over and over again. Mm-hmm. It just, if they have to stay in your life one way or another, if you, you, know, if you believe Jesus says that, you better get real good at forgiving because you're going to get plenty of opportunities. You know, for some people, you know, for me, I didn't have a husband like that. I haven't had kids like that, and I'm grateful. I'm, I'm really grateful. Some people have a much harder challenge of forgiving than I do because they have, um, you know, they have opportunities to let bitterness grow all the time, but it only hurts you. And here's the thing. This guy, I guarantee you, he's not worrying about me. You know, he, he's not wasting his days worrying about what Brenda thinks of me. He don't care. You know, he just doesn't care. Yeah. Um, it's not shaping his life, so why should it shape mine? Mm-hmm. Why should I let the fact that neither one of us are, parent, are apparently who the other one wanted, why should I let that shape the rest of my life? It will, it will make me bitter. It will harm me. And so um, it, it's so funny. I have this running dialogue with God on much smaller issues with other people. If I want to, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I just want to hang on to something here for a minute. I'll get convicted and then I'll just kind of laughingly in my head say to the Lord, I know he's not that guy either, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just recognizing that that you can't make people relate to you the way you need them to is a big step in forgiving people. Yeah. Well, it helps us it helps us just love people better because yes, it's it it's truly it's accepting people for who they are. Right, right. For doesn't make it easier. Doesn't make it easier. Uh, it does make it possible. Doesn't make it possible. <laughs> yes. Um, the last one that I want to ask you about in this is about gratitude. Mm. And you say, and I think that's a good place to wrap up our our part two. You say gratitude and generosity can't be overestimated. They are probably the two most healthy emotions. If you have them, humility and confidence will come along. Yes, I agree with that with my whole heart. Well, that's good because you wrote it. I, I yes, I, I every word of that is what I believe. Yeah. I believe that you know, um, when a person believes they're humble, but they're not grateful and generous, they haven't learned a whit about humility, because when you're truly humble you're so grateful because you recognize that everything you are, everything you have has come to you from someplace else, everything. Maybe you expanded it, but even the expansion would have not been possible without other things. And so, you know, and and so if it came from somewhere else, why do you have to keep it for yourself? You want to be generous. You know, you want to, you want to share it. You want to, to, to bless other people with it and give them the, the opportunity to have things as well. And, and so then you're confident because you're not grasping. You're not feeling like you have to have more and more and more to be, to be better. You know, I have a sign in, in my kitchen that says gratitude takes what you have and makes it enough. 
Absolutely. And when you have enough, you're generous. And when you're generous, you're confident. Yeah. And it ju it's just a circle. It connects all of the dots together. And first, you know, first our first um, gratitude is to God. But then there's so many other people. There's so many other people. We need to be grateful to people all day long. You know, Jesus said, give to anyone who asks you. Give to anyone who asks you, which is why I carry cash in my purse all the time in small amounts yeah. so that when I pull up next to somebody, I can, I can give them money. And I've had people tell me many times, like, oh, you don't even know. He's going to use that on drugs. You shouldn't give it to him. I don't know. Jesus said, give to anyone who asks you. And he's standing there saying, I need help, need food, need to take care of my kids. And so I would rather have him lie to me than me not be generous because generosity is healthy for me. Yeah. And generosity works with God because I'm believing that he will provide for me. I'm believing that I'm going to do better without that $5 I just gave that man than I would do with the $5. Yeah. And it just builds such confidence when you're grateful. When You know how it is, Caleb, when someone is grateful for something you, you do for them, you're pretty likely to do it again, aren't you? Yeah. When I'm grateful to God for his blessings, he's likely to do it again. Yeah. When I'm generous with my blessings, God says, I can trust that girl. I'm going to give her more. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do that. And so gratitude, generosity, I believe the healthiest human emotions, and they lead to every other good emotion. You can't have them without it. Generous people are, are not grumpy. Grumpy people are not generous. Yeah. Grumpy people are not gra grateful. So I, I just believe that's where we, we hang our hearts. We, we want to be happy, mm -hmm. but you won't be happy without being grateful and generous. It falls in line that way. You won't become, you will not become grateful and generous after you're happy. Mm -hmm. You have to put them in order. Yeah. Gratitude and generosity comes first and then happiness. It's a natural result and confidence. Yeah. You know, I, I'd love to... As as you were talking, this idea came to my mind, and I'd love to just you know tease it out and get your thoughts on it too about the humility piece yeah. of it for gratitude and generosity, mm -hmm. and I uh, I agree with you. The other thing that I'm just thinking about is like it's I don't know. I guess in my mind it's like okay, so gratitude and generosity can is is the result of humility, but I also think like there's a different aspect of humility yes. in terms of. Um, like being willing to listen to somebody else yes. too. I guess I guess it's the the th thank you for giving me the space to talk because I'm just thinking it's like yeah, the it's the the humility to give because of what you've been given, but it's also the humility to receive because of what you have absolutely. been given. Absolutely. Also. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Well, you, you, we should write a book. <laughs> yeah. Um any, any other thoughts just as we're uh, closing out our conversation? Man, I've had so many thoughts all the way through this. I don't think I have any to tie it up, but so many. This has been a wonderful conversation for me, I, I feel. Right now, yeah. I feel so grateful. I just feel so grateful you've, you've, had, you've had wise words. You've asked good questions, and I feel overwhelmed with the privilege of living my life. My word, I've had a life. Yeah. If it ended today, I could have no complaint. I don't want it to end today. Yeah. 
But if it ended today, I could have no complaint. God has been so good to me. God, he's just been so good to me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for the part two. We'll, I'm sure, I'm pretty confident we'll wrap it up in the, in, in the next one. But um, yeah, thank just you. thank you. Thank you so much thank for the you. wonderful conversation, eh, Brenda. And thank just you. thank you for doing the work and for sharing it with us. Oh, thank you so much. It's been one of the great joys of this part of my life to talk to you. Thank you. So that's it. That is the end of part two. We got one more part dropping tomorrow and we will be all wrapped up with that. And so again, all of my thoughts, you know, I usually share thoughts at the end of this podcast, but we're at the end of the episode or the end of the conversation, but one, the conversation isn't done. And two, I share a lot of those in the podcast anyway, more, more than I typically do. And so that's where you get all my thoughts for this. And if, uh, you know, if you're missing my thoughts at the end of the episode, go back and listen, uh, to, you know, part one and part two of this as well. So that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you to my aunt Brenda again for being on the podcast. And we got part three coming tomorrow. And with that, Uh, Thank you for listening all the way to the end end of the episode. My name is Kayla Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.